Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Towards the latter part of 2009, I began to preach a series entitled Built to Last, Built to Last. And we talked about this three-phase building project, and so far we have um, learned about two phases. We learned about the building of the altar, and when we looked at the, we looked at the building of the altar, and then we looked at the building of the temple. The purpose of this series, I want you to understand this, there's a reason why I felt impressed by the Lord to pause in the beginning of December was not only to give you a checkup, but, but because this, you know, th this, this word that I'm sharing about building, it's for us to understand that God wants to do something great with us. Amen? And, 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 I, and I'm not talking about any, any, anything other than fulfilling his purpose and his will within our lives. And what this series is supposed to do and what I'm praying that it does is that it prepares us to build not a building in the natural, but that it prepares us to build our lives in a manner that our lives will become instrumental in the extension of the kingdom of God within this earth. That our lives would be in tune with the spirit of God that our lives would be in alignment with the word of God and that our lives would be a vessel through which there will be a free flow. Now, I don't know about any of you and how, or how many of you have ever washed a car. Hallelujah. Raise your hand if you've washed a car because you'll, you'll probably understand this. And so that's a few of us, glory to God. A few of us, including myself, need to go out there and wash some cars, glory to God. Pray for your bishop. Hopefully I'll get to that this year. Hallelujah. And so I have 363 days to do that. But anyway, anyway, the, 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 the reason why I bring up the car washing is because, you know, sometimes we go out there and when we're messing with a hose, it doesn't necessarily have to be washing the car. There's something that can happen sometimes. You know, you have your hose nice and wrapped up and it's wound up and everything. And then because, you know, you need a lot of slack, what you do, at least what I do, is I get out there and I pull the hose out and pull it out. It's all on the ground there. And then I grab the hose. And then what do I do? I walk toward the object that I need to wet. Amen. Hallelujah. And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes there's a, there, there, you know, you got, you feel all this pressure in the hose and then you go and you squeeze and then, you know, the water comes out and then it stops. And then you're like, man, what's wrong with this thing, man? What, what, what's the issue? What, what, what stopped the flow? And what happens is the hose got a kink in it. Hello, somebody. And, and that, that, that kink is hindering, see, the pressure, now, now, now you got to hear this, the pressure is coming from the pipes of your house into that hose and flowing fast and flowing powerful, unhindered, until it comes to the point where it comes to that kink. And I used the words last year, I'm going to use it this year, called kinkage, hallelujah. Y'all remember that word, right? Y'all remember that word, right? Because of the kinkage, glory to God, that is there, what happens is the flow that is able to assist you and accomplishing the task at hand is hindered. Why? Because of this kink that is in the line. And so what do we want to do, church? We want to make sure that we are not the kink in the line. Because you do understand that the Bible declares in the book of Hebrews that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. You, you know that, amen? And, and you also know that Jesus did say, the works that I do and greater works you shall do. You do realize that, right? And you do realize that the Holy Ghost is the same Holy Spirit that we read about in the entire book of Acts. You realize that, amen? And so since God hasn't changed, what we've got to grasp in the depth of our soul is that there is a kingdom force that is flowing 
flowing from the heavens, and God is waiting for us, his people, to do what? To get in alignment with his word, to get in tune with his spirit, so that way our attitudes, our actions, our decisions do not become a blockage area to hinder God from bringing the power of his spirit to full manifestation within the earth. This is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about it is time to build, church. It is time. It is a time for us to build and not just build, but be built to last. And so when we looked at the building of the altar that Zerubbabel did, I said that it signified something, that when they went back into this land to restore Jerusalem, the first thing that they built and they erected was an altar. The first thing, the first thing that they built was this altar because of what? Because the altar signifies worship, signifies sacrifice, signifies a personal devotion. And before we're going to be able to do anything that has great kingdom value collectively, we have to, we have to individually base our lives around one thing, and that is worship. One thing. And I said this, and I'll remind you of this as well, that there are too many people who are trying to fit worship into their lives instead of surrounding their lives around their worship. Too many people are trying to find time to worship. And remember, worship is not singing. That, that, is not, that, that, that is not where worship ends. That is just an expression of worship. Loving your spouse the right way is worshiping the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Honoring your parents is worshiping the Lord. Amen? Being a diligent and faithful employee is what? Worshiping the Lord. Demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit in every and in, in, in all the opportunities that we have is worshiping the Lord. And so that's what I'm saying. People are trying to figure out how I can fit worship into my life. Listen, just surround your life around worship. Because what did they do? When the building project began, for seven months there was no temple, there was no foundation, there was just an altar. And every day they were bringing worship before the Lord because if we'll establish worship, we get the things in order because worship does what? Brings us before the throne of God, brings us into the presence of God, and allows us to have this time with the Lord when he can speak to us and communicate with us and our hearts become softened and sensitive to his will so then we can move to the next level. And the next level we said was the building, or we didn't say, but the scripture says in the book of Ezra, the next level was that foundation and the temple. They built the temple, so they had the place of worship established, and then they built the temple. And so what did this signify? This signified worship going from being a personal time of devotion to now a public demonstration. Went from being just about you and the Lord to now what we do together and what we, and what we as a church. And this is what happens with us. We give our life to Jesus, and then the Bible tells us, do not forsake the gathering together of the brethren, which is the custom of many. And so what do we do? We find a body of believers to connect to, a church to connect with, and what are we supposed to be doing? We are supposed to collectively worship, glorify, and honor God. And how do we do that? By being disciples, by growing together, by reaching others, by serving. This is how we do that. And so we saw that part here and now. Now, today, I'm going to begin to talk about the last part, which is the building of these walls. But I want to say this, and it is that the key to any successful spiritual building project, because remember, this is not a natural building project we're talking about, but a spiritual building project is not the different levels or phases in the project. It is not the planning for the project. It is the support of God in the project. Do you hear me? 
Any spiritual building project, anything that you are going to do that you want to have, you know, to see it succeed, it is, it is important for you to make sure that you have God's support because the Bible says that if God doesn't build the house, those that labor, labor in vain. Hello, somebody. And so it is important that whatever it is that we are trying to build, if you're trying to build a business, you need to make sure that you have God's support. You need to make sure that God is supporting whatever it is you're doing. That's why it's so important, church, to pray before you make decisions. It's beautiful. The new year comes, and we are able to make these New Year's resolutions. Hallelujah. Well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to lose this weight. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm to read my Bible, glory to God. I got some dirty looks when I said that. I didn't mean to offend anybody. Look, I, 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 I'm just saying this is what most people do, you know, on a New Year's Day. You know, I'm not. You know, anyway, I couldn't do that because there was too much food in my house, glory to God. I'm still trying to get rid of it. I think I'm going to get rid of the last of it today. Praise the Lord. Hopefully, hopefully, hallelujah. I'm going to work hard on that when I leave here. But, um, but, but, but anyway, you know, so, you know we, we, we come into the new year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the entire Bible. These are all good goals, church. These are all wonderful goals. It is important, though, that you follow through. Think, think, just think about it. I know we're in 2010. We're supposed to leave the old behind. But just think for a moment. How many of those 2009 New Year's resolutions did you accomplish? This is not to offend you. This is not to make you upset. Just think about it for a moment. How many of them did you not accomplish? And, just, and, and you just need to ask yourself a question because I'm going to talk about this in a moment, you know, a little later on. But ask yourself a question. Why didn't I accomplish those things? Why didn't I accomplish them? Was it because God didn't want me to? Or was it because I was just lazy? Was it because I was undisciplined? Because I wasn't devoted to accomplishing those things? When we're talking about built to last, this is what we have to make sure that we are devoted to what? That we are devoted to the things that God has ordained, that God wills for our life. Successful building always begins and is sustained in a prayer closet. Successful building always begins and is sustained in a prayer closet. Before we go anywhere else this year, my challenge to you is to make a New Year's resolution to become the person of prayer that God has called you to be. The title of the message this morning is Building Upon Prayer. Building Upon Prayer. When we see this story here in the book of Nehemiah, the Bible tells us that Nehemiah was the cupbearer for the king. Meaning that he was not, and you need to understand who Nehemiah was for a moment because a lot of times we think whenever we're reading the scriptures, we automatically get in our heads that, you know, the people that are used by God had to be some great person, some person who had some great name or something to that effect. But when you look at who Nehemiah was, Nehemiah was not a priest. He was not a prophet. He had no name of renown. He was the king's cupbearer. And what does that mean for us? That means that the way that God utilized Nehemiah, who he was nobody great, in that, in, 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 as far as lineage went, and God used him greatly to bring completion. His, his part of the building project took the shortest amount of time. And you know what? I, I, I'm going I'm to factor in this little thing here that we're talking about today. Prayer. Amen. Hallelujah. Because this man was there. Now, 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 I want you to realize this, too, because him being the king's cupbearer, he had a pretty high position within that, within that area. He not, not in Israel. Remember, they're under captivity. He's under a whole different king. He's not, we're not talking about in Israel, but he was in a position. Why? Because what did the king's cupbearer do? Well, when they would bring out the wine to the king, guess who had to take the first sip? The king's cupbearer. Hello, somebody. Why did he have to do that? It wasn't to see how good it tastes. It was to make sure that it was not poisoned. Hello. 
That's a pretty dangerous job, wouldn't you say? I don't think I would want that job. And this person did that. And so a person who in Israel's eyes was not somebody great, his daddy wasn't a pastor. Daddy wasn't the, you know, superintendent of some. He wasn't nothing like that. He wasn't part of the Levitical priesthood. He didn't have any of those things. But you know what God did? God put him in the right position to do what? To be the one to lead this next part of our building project. And how did it all start? Well, when the people came back from Jerusalem, he asked his brother, he said, listen, how does everything look over there? How's everything going? And he tells him, listen, man, he said, the people are distressed over there. He said, they have their temple. He said, they got their altar. But the people are distressed. The walls that are supposed to protect them are broken down. The gates that are supposed to be able to open and close and grant access and egress and all that stuff, those are burnt down. And so the people are overwhelmed right now. And what does Nehemiah do? Does Nehemiah say, well, I got it good over here. I'm chilling. I'm not, I'm not over there. I'm, I'm protected. I'm with the king. As long as nobody poisons this, you know, wine here, I'm good to go. Right? He could have simply had that mindset. But the scripture says that when he heard the report of what was going on with the people of God, the Bible says that he immediately began to weep. He began to mourn, and he entered into prayer and fasting. What a glorious response from this man who had, other than the little, you know, the little hiccup in case someone put poison in there, he had a pretty comfortable position because the kings love their cupbearers. Hello. They, 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 they loved them. They cared for them. They, the cupbearers became the confidants. Cupbearers became advisors to the kings. Hello. And this man doesn't look at his position and say, well, you know, I'm good. You know, all right, I'm sorry to hear that and just go about his business. No. The Bible says that he began to weep and he began to mourn. And you know what, church, the question that I have for you is when you hear the report of what is going on in our society, when you look on the news, when you hear or you have conversations, when you see marriages that are falling apart, when you see people who are struggling with identity crisis and, 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 and have others who are in high positions telling them that's not a struggle, that's normal, how does that move you or are you indifferent to it? Are you more concerned with your own comfort and your own commodity and your own being okay that you are not moved to compassion, that you are not moved to tears? See, because there is an issue because Jesus, the one that we serve, says he, he, there's a story in, 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 in the Gospels that teaches us that when he looked, he, he wasn't looking at the stuff that we're looking at. He was simply looking at a multitude of people who were like sheep without a shepherd, and the Bible says that he was moved with compassion for them. What do you think put Jesus on that cross? It was everything that we see today. Hello. It is the sin that abounds in our days. And so the question is, if we're really connected to that cross, why is it that we're not broken over the condition of our nation? Church, hear me. We can learn a lot from Nehemiah. Nehemiah didn't have to go back over there. Nobody said that he had to do anything, but the Lord God Almighty put it on his heart. Because what he did was, when he heard the words that the people are not faring well, when he heard the words, the people are in distress, when he heard the words, the walls were broken down, when he heard those words, something inside of him was stirred. And he didn't just, he didn't just fast for like a moment. 
He didn't just fast for a meal. He did this for days. You know how long he was praying before he went before the king? Four months. Four months before he said a word to the king, before he asked the king for any kind of permission, he was crying out to God, seeking God's face. Now, obviously, he wasn't fasting for four months. They would have made that clear. Or he wasn't fasting consecutively for those four months. He was probably fasting throughout that time, broken before God, crying out to God, praying these prayers that prophets would pray, that priests would pray. But he wasn't a prophet and he wasn't a king. So the first thing that we've got to have, and say this with me, please, our devotion to prayer will be directly connected to our need for an answer. We've got to have a need for an answer. This, 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 this Nehemiah had a need for an answer. He needed to hear an answer from God Almighty. He, he was desperate to hear from God. Our hearts, church, must be moved by God before our prayers will have the eternal conviction that will burden us to push. Our hearts have got to be moved by God before we're going to push. What do you mean by push, Bishop? Y'all have heard this before. It's an acronym to pray until something happens. When our hearts are moved by God, when our hearts are moved by his spirit, when our hearts are moved by his word, what we will do is we will get on our faces seeking the face of God, crying out to almighty God until he manifests himself. You know, And you know why I said that You know, we got to make sure or our prayers will be directly connected to our need for an answer because here's something that we see that's pretty common. Folks begin to pray more when they're going through difficulty. You know why? Because they need an answer to prayer. Hello, somebody. Folks that ain't ever fasted before, suddenly, Pastor Robert, how do you, how, 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 what's the correct way to do, can, can we go through phase nine or whatever, can, can we, can, 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 I, I need you to, can you fax me that, email me this thing, hello, somebody. People, people, people who never, who, who never, I mean, ne- never came to prayer meeting, suddenly. Glory to God. Let, let me encourage you. Come to prayer meeting, please. How do, we want you to come no matter what the reason is. Glory to God. Just come to pray. Praise the Lord. We ain't trying to say nothing bad. But hear me. Folks, <laughs> I don't want you to not come. Be like, oh, well, Bishop, I, I'm not trying to call. I, every, every, look, look, I'm, I'm just, I'm making a point here that is reality. And the reality is that we, we, and I, I'm not saying you, we, when we go through Difficult situations, it pushes us to pray more. It pushes us, look, check it out. When, when, you, when you really need an answer from God, look, you're checking all of your behavior, making sure nothing you do is offending God. Oh, did I give enough? Did I, did, did, did I, do, did, did, did I tell my wife I love her enough? Did I tell my kids the right? I mean, you are like checking yourself all over the place because you want to make sure that, you are, that there's no kinkage in your life. Hello, somebody. You want to make sure that there is a free flow for God to speak to you. You want to make sure that you are as close to walking on the clouds as you can be so you can hear God's voice because of what because you are in a situation that has you praying hear me church we have got to get to that place outside of our situations again Nehemiah didn't have to get desperate he didn't have to go into fasting and praying and no he didn't have to do any of that because it wasn't him it wasn't like he went to Jerusalem he didn't go He was asking for, people came back. He wasn't able to leave. He was there taking care of the king. And you know what? People came back, and he asked a question, and his heart was so connected to what? The will of God. His heart was connected to the will of God. And because his heart was connected to the will of God, when he saw something, hear me, when he saw something that was not in alignment with the will of God, that hurt him. 
When he saw something that was not in alignment with God's purpose, it burdened him. It grabbed his heart because what? He's connected to the heart of God. Nehemiah heard the negative report, and it drove him to fasting, to praying, and mourning. And again, he did this for four months before he ever spoke to the king. And you know what, church? We are in dire need of a fresh conviction from the Holy Spirit to come upon our hearts as the driving force behind our prayers. We need the conviction of the Holy Ghost to grip our lives, church, if we are going to be a people who are burdened to pray, who are going to be building upon prayer, whose lives are going to be saturated in prayer. We need the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But you know what? You and I have got to be willing to say, God, convict us. You and I have got to be be willing to say, God, have your way in this heart. Do something inside of me. Not do something in her. Do something in him. No, do it in me. Do something, and that, that's what we need in our days. If we want to see revival, and we want to see great glory, and we want to see power, church, we need to be crying out to God, asking him, Lord, convict our hearts. Convict our hearts of those things that burden you. Convict our hearts of the sin that is within our lives. Convict our hearts of the sin that is within our city. Convict our hearts of the sin that is within our families. Convict our hearts of the sin that is running rampant throughout the nations. Convict our hearts because you know what? Sometimes we feel like, and I I say again we, because sometimes we feel like, well, you know, I'm not hurting anybody. I don't curse, right? I'm not, you know, I'm not mean. I'm, I'm not doing anything that's bad. And so because we are not like blatantly just out there sending up a storm, hello, then we forget that we are still sinners saved by grace. We forget that we once upon a time, some of us were out there, the worst kind of sinners, living lives that were so ungodly, it was crazy. Hello. And now we are in a position where where God has separated us, and so we are no longer bound to those other sins. And so you know what happens? We begin to lose the burden. I'll never forget when I first got saved. When I first got saved, I want you to know something. I I was on the altar every week giving my life to Jesus. Listen to me. And, and, and it wasn't because I wasn't trying to serve him. It wasn't because of that. Because I can, I can, I can tell you with, with, with a clean heart, it wasn't because I was out there living crazy. That wasn't it. It was because I had a fresh revelation of, of God's holiness. I had a fresh understanding of who he was. And when I would hear the word of God being preached, I didn't sit there idly like, hurry up, preacher, get done. It, that, that wasn't my heart. I, I, w- I wouldn't sit there like, well, that word is for so- I wouldn't do that. Every Sunday, it was for me. I didn't even, look, he could have been talking about marriage, and I was 17 years old, and I was running to the altar. Look, I need to be holy because one day I'll be married. I'm li- look, I- I'm just, I'm, I'm letting you know. That was the heart. And, and, and when, I would, when, when I prayed, it was the same thing when I was seeking God. I understood God's holiness, and that is what we desperately need, church, is to understand God's holiness. Understand who he is, and that comes by what? It comes by way of revelation. It comes by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come by you it, it doesn't come by you doing anything except allowing God to reveal it to you. And you know what that means? That means that sometimes you're going to have to sit down in a prayer closet, whatever it, it could be a real closet, it could just be your bedroom, it can be your vehicle, wherever it is that you spend your time with God. 
Sometimes you're going to have to sit there and just meditate on him and wait on him to reveal himself to you. Because you know what happens, church? We get so caught up in our busyness of life. We get so caught up in, every, in, in our routine that we've got to do that we figure, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to give God 30 minutes. I'm giving him 30 minutes of my life. And if God doesn't move within those 30 minutes, well, you know what? I guess he didn't want to move. The devil is a liar. He didn't want you to move. Did you hear me? He wanted to move. He didn't want you to move, though. He wanted you to stay in his presence for what? So he could give you a revelation. See, here's what happens, church. When the Holy Spirit is convicting us and our prayers are driven by him, it connects us to the Father's heart. It conforms us to the, to the will of God, and it confirms to us what God's purpose is in our lives. When the Holy Spirit is driving our prayers, it begins to connect us with the heart of the Father. So now our prayers are no longer anything other than, Father, I want your will to be done in my life. I want your purposes to be accomplished in this ministry. I want in, 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 in my family, in the workplace that I'm at, I want you to bring glory. I've told people and communicated, even in the midst of this crazy economy and, and people in jobs, and I've told them, I said, man, you know what? You need to Go on ahead, find yourself another Christian if there's one there because, you know, people always work with Christians. Hello, somebody. There's always somebody else saying they're a Christian. You know what you need to do? You need to grab that Christian and say, we're not going to sit here and be worried about a job. We're going to get together. We're going to come to work 15 minutes early, and we're going to grab hands, and we're going to pray over this business, and we're going to begin to cry out to God that he will bless this place in the midst of this mess. How many of y'all believe God can do that stuff? And it's important for us to make sure that we are those type of people. That are crying out and saying, God, your will be done. Your will be done. Because you know what happens when you begin to do that? God begins to shine a little light on you, just like he did on Joseph. Hello, somebody. Just like he did on Daniel. Just like he did on all of these people that God put this little light on and said, there's somebody right there who has my heart. There's somebody right there who's connected to me. There's somebody right there who has the favor of God on their life. And that favor is not going to just bring blessing to me. It's not just going to bring blessing to you. It's going to bring blessing to everyone you're connected with. Hello, somebody. It's important for us to realize this. So we got to have that heart. The second thing, repeat this after me, true prayer will take us beyond the obvious to the root of the matter. So Nehemiah, he begins to pray. And I want us to follow this prayer because this is probably one of the greatest prayers ever prayed here. He says, and I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. Now notice again. He comes, and he's, and he's coming to God Almighty. He heard this negative report, and he doesn't just go and just point out to God, God, this is a bad situation that we're in. And here's the problem, church, and the reason why I point that out is because there are too many people that are overwhelmingly, they, they have an overwhelming understanding of their present circumstances, and they are either clueless or they can care less about how they got there. Did you hear what I just said? There are too many folks that they understand beyond a shadow of a doubt where they are. They understand what's going on around them. They understand what's happening. They, under, they, they, they got all of that. But you know what? They don't understand why they're there. They don't understand how they got there. But see, when you are truly connected to God in prayer, 
Your circumstances, that's not your only focus because what does true prayer do, church? It takes us beyond the circumstance to God showing us how do we get there and even more importantly, how do we get out of there? Did you hear me? How do we get there? How do we arrive at this place? How do we get out of this place? And you know what? A lot of times by looking at how you got there, it will show you how to get out of there. By looking at what brought me here, if I stop doing that, hello, that will keep me away from these situations. We need to be those people who have truly, truly, listen, forgotten our past, yet never forget the lessons. Did you hear me? In other words, you shouldn't be sitting there boohooing over 10 years ago. You, you, you might still be boohooing over 2009 because it's only a couple of days ago, okay? You, you, but, but listen. Don't, 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 don't come up in the middle of 2010 still boohooing about 2009. Hello. You know, I, I know it takes some time to get over the boohoo, you know. Take, take, takes a little time to get past that. I, I understand that. And, and, and I'm with you and I'm praying for you, you know, that we'll, you know, get past that part. But listen, we've got to be those people that we're not sitting here living in the past, but that we have learned from our past. And counseling with folks, I said, you know, there's two kind of people in this world. There's the kind of people that live and learn, and there's people kind of people, and they're, and they're the kind of people that just live. They never learn. <laughs> Hear me. <laughs> there are the folks that live and learn. They live, they, exp they go through something, they learn from it, and they move on. Then there's other folks that keep on living, making the same decisions, because I ain't going to call them mistakes. Hello. Decisions. Make the same decisions over and over. I was talking to someone the other day. I said, look, man. I said, you don't want to hear what I got to say because when, when you come to me, right, asking me for counsel before you make this decision, right, glory to God. There's none of y'all in here, so don't worry about it. Praise the Lord. I'm going to let you know I'm not putting nobody's business out that is in this place. Glory to God. You come to me asking me for counsel. I give you the counsel. You go against the counsel. And then you come back to me after what I said was going to happen happens, and you want some compassion. Not going to happen. Because you expect to make bad decisions and good things to happen. That don't make no sense. How do you expect? But folks expect that. Why? Because there's two kind of people in this world. The ones who live and learn and the ones who just live. Mm -hmm. Listen, we've got to be those people, church, that are like Nehemiah. And he didn't say, he didn't say, look, no, notice, notice, notice what he says. He didn't say, these people have sinned, my daddy sinned, but I didn't sin. That isn't what he said. He said, my father's house and I have sinned. In other words, Lord, the reason for the distress that we are in is because of our disobedience. And the reason why I said this has got to be one of the greatest prayers that is ever recorded is because this guy was not a priest. Again, he wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a scribe. But he knew who God was. He knew what God's expectations were. And he knew where the people of God had failed. And he took it upon himself to say, God, I'm not a priest. I'm not a prophet. I'm a cupbearer for the king. But I know this much. You hear whoever's heart is crying out to you. And I'm crying out to you on behalf of myself and the people of God. I'm crying out because I want to see change. Number three, repeat this after me. 
As prayer, as prayer brings us into alignment with the will of God, we gain boldness and favor when and with whom necessary. No biblical building project was accomplished without the assistance of, co of the co-labor of others. Hear me. You look throughout the scriptures, you can go to the book of Exodus, and you will find that Moses went up to the mountain. He got the clear picture and revelation from who God, you know, what God wanted him to build. He got it clear, No, I mean, everything, exactly how God wanted it. And yet and still, Moses didn't walk down with the materials to build. Hello? Moses got a revelation, and then he came to the people and said, God has shown me what we need to build, and so now y'all are going to have to do what? You all are going to have to bring, a, a, you know, an offering that's going to do what? That is going to supply for us to be able to build. That's what, he, that, that, that's what happened there. It wasn't Moses just coming out of the mountain there. You look at Solomon when he built that great and glorious temple. He didn't do it by himself, and it didn't just drop out of heaven. His daddy got all of this stuff and put all of these things in savings, basically, for him so he could do what? So he could build this temple because God said, David, you can't do it. But my son is going to do it. And so we see here, and when you look at this whole building project here, it's the same thing. When you look at how these materials came, the king's heart was moved. Cyrus's heart was moved, and he did what? He sent all of his gold, all of these things, to build the temple of God again. Therefore, it is important for us to understand that while we are in prayer and we are seeking God's face, and the reason why I said earlier that, that it's not that God doesn't want to move in those 30 minutes, but he wants you to not move for a little bit longer is because he wants to communicate with you where you need to go, who you need to talk to, who you need to connect with in order to accomplish his will. Hear me, church. There's a whole lot of times. Hear me, hear me. We want to hang out with folks that ain't going to help us get to where God wants us to go. There's folks that, you know, just love to death. Just love them, love them, love them. But for some reason, for some reason, they're comfortable right where they are. For some reason, they've done enough for God right where they are. Can I tell you something? Those are not the kind of people that are going to accomplish great works for the kingdom. Those are not the kind of people that are going to build. You know why? Because they have not allowed God to deal with their hearts and put inside of them what needs to be there now. I don't want you to just throw them to the curb. Hello, somebody. You know, we got to have love. I mean, Jesus rebuked his disciples over and over again. Oh, ye of little faith, how long must I be with you? You read that stuff there, be like, man, Jesus is a little bit upset. Glory to God. <laughs> I would be upset, too, if I was the son of God performing all kind of miracles and these people were still, like, doubting me. I, I think I'd get a little upset as well. Hallelujah. <laughs> and Jesus didn't just kick him to the curb. He did what? He continued to show them the way. He continued to show them the way, but he didn't let them hold him back. Matter of fact, a matter of fact, a matter of fact, hear me now. <laughs> when they try to get in his way, you remember Peter? You know, you know Peter, he's always talking, saying something crazy, right? And he, the, Jesus asked him the question, who do men say that I am? And, uh, you know, Peter comes out and he's like, you are the son of God. And he's like, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And he says, you know, upon this, he gives him all this great revelation, pat on the back. And if you read the scriptures, you'll be amazed. You know, you look like three verses later, and Jesus is telling him about the suffering that he's going to go through. And then Peter's like, never, Lord. <laughs> How can you suffer these things? And Jesus is like, Satan, get behind me. What was he saying? 
Some folks, if I, if I were to say, Satan, get behind me, you lead the church. <laughs> Satan, get behind me. Peter didn't. Peter, Peter just understood, man, I'm in the flesh right now. I have the carnal moment, and I need to slow that down. Getting up in Jesus' face, Jesus is trying to get to his purpose, and I'm trying to interfere with this whole thing. And Peter was like, well, flesh and blood revealed it to me, and now I got slapped in the flesh and blood. Right? <laughs> flesh and blood didn't reveal this to me. Now flesh and blood got in the way, right? So, hello. Listen, it is important that we have this prayer time because God will lead us to the people that are going to help us accomplish what God wants to accomplish. Can I tell you the greatest struggle, church, the greatest struggle in all of this is to remember one thing. It's not about us. I wish I could play that song. Maybe in three years or something like that, I'll be at that level and I can play that song. I'm going to play the recording for you. Hallelujah. I'm going to just sit there on the piano and be like, be like, yo, what's up? What's up, church? Hallelujah. Y'all going to be like, man, Bishop's getting down right now. He's playing with his toes or something because his hands are up in the air, you know. <laughs> Glory to God. See that? Hallelujah. See, he's got it. I'm going to let Mike play it. Praise. I'm going to go play the bass. I'm Listen, listen, <laughs> the hardest thing, the hardest thing in all of this is to remember it is not about us. It's not. Listen, Nehemiah, his prayer was not about him. His purpose was not about him. It was about God's purpose in the earth. That's the hardest thing because we get caught up on us. We sit down and we pray and we become consumed by whatever is going on around us and we forget that bigger than our situation, which is big, which is important, is a greater purpose that God has for us, church. But you know what will help you keep this mindset? Is being a person who is devoted to prayer. A person who is truly devoted to seeking the face of God. And I'm getting ready to close here. I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of John Chapter 15 and verse 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 15. Everything, everything that Nehemiah did, everything that he accomplished, all comes back to this right here. He understood this principle before Jesus even said it. When you got it, say amen. Beginning in verse 1, Jesus says this. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Jesus is looking for fruit bearers. Hello. He's looking for people 
who will become impregnated with the seed of his word, the promises that are there, the things that he wants to do, and who will bear fruit. And the only way that that happens, church, is by us abiding, by us dwelling. And you know where we start dwelling? We start dwelling and abiding with him in prayer. We start dwelling and we start abiding in his will in prayer. Because what does prayer do? Prayer does not change God, it changes us. Prayer doesn't move God, it moves us. I know you didn't want to hear that, but this is the truth. Because God is always moving. You know what happens is we are not moving with him. Hello, somebody. All God is looking for. I read somewhere in, 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 this, in, in, in one of the books I was reading, and it was Leonard Ravenhill, and he said one day, he said, some young somebody is going to embarrass us all because he, and, I, and I'm going to just throw she in there because it could be a she, he or she is going to pick up this Bible, believe what it says, and start living it. Without question. They're not going to ask all the crazy doctrinal stuff that messes us all up. It does. It messes us all up. And get caught up with doubting and, and is this or no. They're going to read the words that are written in this Bible. They're going to believe them and they're going to run with them. And they're going to embarrass everybody. Because all those Christians that have been there for years and years and years haven't had the faith to step out, church. Listen, I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't know about you. I'm not good with embarrassment. But above anything else, more than being embarrassed, I want to make sure that I bring as much glory and honor to the Father as I can. And the only way that that happens is by me bearing as much fruit as I can as a child of God. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and bow your heads with me today. I pray that you were challenged in your prayer life. Hallelujah. Bow your heads, please. <clears throat> Hallelujah, Jesus. Every eye closed and every head bowed. I just want to ask a question. And if you say in here today, Lord... I really do want my prayer life to go to that next dimension. I really do want burden-driven prayer. I don't want to just go through motions anymore.